0: Welcome to the Inner Dominatrix Podcast, the show that gets you stepping into the badass in business you were born to be. And today, <laughs> today, I have a very fun, fun guest, former comedian. So Jessica Pettit is a Master's of Education, certified speaker professional, and she speaks on diversity training, working with organizations, helping them to move past the abstract fears into actionable habits, leading your teams to work together, creating that sense of belonging and understanding and the colleagues to take more risks with their ideation, conservative. Okay, I can't read the rest of this. So (laughs) you've put some big words in here, Jessica, for me, just trying to trip me up, right? So sum up, sum up what you've been doing for the listeners.
1: Sure. So I do often work with teams that are burnt out, exhausted, or don't feel like they're good enough to do the jobs that are ahead of them or the supervisors or the team managers, et cetera, that work with people that don't understand why they're not being creative. Why are they not trying anymore? And I talk about anything from like, how are you rewarding failure to, that really helps with creativity and innovation. To how does conscious or unconscious bias actually impact your team, using air quotes, actually behave and work together as a team. So from workplace culture all the way down to individual self-reflection and responsibility.
0: I love it. And one of the things I love is that you've brought out a book and it's called Good Enough Now. No. Good
1: enough now. That's good me. enough now.
0: And you know, I love that message because I'm always saying to people, you're not fucked up, you're not broken. And having that same, you know, message of working with where you are, where yeah. what you've got going on right now. So, what led to you creating that book? Because it's it's a brilliant message.
1: Well, I really appreciate that. And I was actually really hesitant um, when I first kind of noticed these patterns. Of all of our excuses and all of our fears of trying, without knowing, like we weren't going to land a perfect ten. For myself, this came from my own burnout of my own message, doing diversity trainings and things like that. I wasn't noticing progress or a shift in anything. So my own excuses, also paired with the same model of other people that I was working with, that they didn't feel inspired to try. Mm. and I think what's really important is that before you can try you have to try to try you know I mean I don't mean to like be a motivational speaker and play on words in that kind of cheese ball way but when (laughs) when you are depressed or uninspired or burnt out it is really hard to believe there is a possibility of it being different and it doesn't take very much of that flicker to imagine that there's a possibility of a possibility. So then you can start somewhere and it's even just saying a possibility of a possibility or trying to try, there's this forward moment momentum that can get built that that's all it takes. You have now started just by like slow leaning into something is a different way of thinking, a different framework And the next thing you know, you're actually being creative. You're actually innovating. You're disrupting your own sense of like, this is dumb. And that disruption is uh, a motivator, is a self-propelling fuel. I
0: love it. I yeah. love it. It's like focusing on, you know, the micro steps. What's what is in your control? What can you do? And like you like you said, I love that idea of you know the possibility of the possibility. Cause even if you're completely totally stuck, there's a piece of you that would always be able to say, Well, what if? What if there's even a small slice of a possibility? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And what's funny is I was having a conversation the other day on a plane and um, we blamed Google for the problems that exist in the world. And that (laughs) when when you can't remember, like, who played the bad guy in Karate Kid? What was that guy's name? You can't remember. This is not necessarily critical information unless maybe you're on a game show. (laughs) You don't spend the time, not just to, like try and remember whatever that guy's name is i legit don't remember i will probably google while you're asking me a question <laughs> but is also the time it takes to discern like do i need to be thinking about this right and i'm more apt to obsess on the fact that i can't remember this guy's name and like really get down on myself for like my failing memory I'm much more likely to do that than to realize I'm using this as a distraction from doing something I really ought to be doing. Mm. So I just go to Google and get the easy answer because that still takes time and focus away from what I ought to actually be doing. That you know, it's such a great
0: point because there are so many things that we use to distract ourselves. And and that's just one example. You know, I, I know. I get on Facebook and I will open up Facebook and I try to. I'm like, okay, I need to send so and so a message. Open up Facebook. Half an hour later, I'm like, oh, I'm wasting time. I close Facebook. I have not messaged the person that I was supposed to even message.
1: You actually noticed that within half an hour? That's impressive.
0: Oh, thanks. (laughs) Sometimes it's more like two hours, but you know, yeah, mostly because I can't stand Facebook, that it only takes me half an hour. If I actually enjoyed it, I probably would get sucked in there for a lot longer.
1: It depends how many like piglet surfing videos. <laughs> I
0: oh, look, another kitten!
1: <laughs> that kitten is knitting. For, for your listeners, by the way, I googled it. It's okay, this- William Zabka, Z-a-b-k-a, and the character's name was Johnny Lawrence. <laughs> There we
0: go. Well, we're all now, better. Now people. they now we can all relax. That's out Your of our the dominatrix
1: is coming right out now. <laughs> you have learned that information. That's right. We needed
0: that information. So what other kinds of tools do you have for people to you know start moving away from being distracted and into shifting into action of what they yeah,
1: so the, the premise of the book is divided into three sections. So if you'll bear with me, I'll do it super quickly. Okay. The idea of the idea of why I had to write the book was that I began to notice these certain patterns as to why nobody was doing anything and why I assumed nobody doing anything is different than doing the same things over and over again and expecting different results, that cliche, right? Mm-hmm. So I was really focusing on what are we actually doing that yeah. is not creating any change. And so I tried to notice and tried to flip it all inside out. So I divided it into three sections. So good is I deeply believe on a humanitarian level, we are all good people. That doesn't mean that we're perfect or really smart or awesome or full of success or potential or whatever buzzword you want to use. But I believe we're all good. We're not all great. <laughs> but we're all good, right? Yes. So my hesitation of even going to good enough now was that good really is not exceptional. Right. And capitalism, growth, all of these things, and eagles flying behind me tend to be on this kind of exceptional place. Right. Like, when you lock your keys in your own car again, (laughs) it's really hard to be like, I'm actually exceptional. And you probably are. Maybe you're an exceptional muffin maker, right? But you fail at everything else. So (laughs) the, the median here is good. The third section of the book is all self-reflection, self-awareness, who are you, why do you show up the way you do, and are you prepared to be responsible for who and how you show up? If so, please keep reading, right? Love it. Second section is enough, which is really where we'd start working on the hot mess that is humanity, Right. So like, yes, you can make a mean blueberry muffin and you're a really terrible listener. So no matter how many muffins you bring to your team or to work, if you're not listening to them to find out that your staff is allergic to blueberries and you've <laughs> got blueberry muffins again, then you might be enough, but you maybe need to like pay attention to where your energies are going. So really starting to acknowledge how your life, your lived experience has taught you how to be this way. And it may may be plenty, but it is not really taking into account that not everyone else has lived your own life. So you start to pivot about perhaps other people are also enough. Like you've embraced your disastrousness, Maybe this person who's really frustrating me or, this person who has chosen to take up four spots in the grocery store parking lot on a crowded Sunday because their precious car is so valuable. Maybe their life has taught them to show up that way too. Right. So, like, How do we kind of lean into this differently, right possibility that somebody else is also just as much of a hot mess as me. So that's like listening and being patient and like, maybe even heaven forbid, apply some like humility to your own ego. And then finally, once you've done work on yourself and you've like been able to understand where other people may be coming from, the kind of now section is pick your battles. Like you're not mm-hmm. going fi- to, this is not a book that's going to fix everybody overnight. I wrote the book and I'm still a disaster. That <laughs> is why there's so many typos in the book? Oh. Hey, we have that in common. Oh, so great. Only 14 <laughs> editors too. The words are spelled correctly. They're just the wrong the word. wrong words. Yeah. Uh, so the now piece is really about making better connections with other people and being responsible, slowing down and forming a message and being responsible for how it lands or impacts somebody else. That's it. Very brilliant. Very or brilliant. a subliminal diversity training that some people can actually swallow. Yes, which
0: I love. And, and that was one of the things, you know, when I heard you speak at the CAPS convention, I love how much you embrace the diversity piece, but you, you bring that out in a way that it just makes it easy for people to, to welcome how different you are. You know, you come out on the stage and you're like, you just, this is me, I point it all out. Oh, no, you're probably judging this, probably judging that, probably, you know, and then all of a sudden the, the audience can now go, ah, oh, okay. I don't have to try to stuff that away. I can just, yes, I did have that. Okay. Now I can let it go.
1: Mm-hmm. That's happening. Oh, okay, good. That's actually happening. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. That's also happening. Yeah. Okay, good.
0: Yeah. And and that, that space of having no judgment about it, like when you're up on the stage, you're what I saw was that you were allowing people to judge you. And then in allowing them to judge you, you create space for people to have acceptance of diversity.
1: Yeah. Shh. Don't tell anyone that. Okay. But- The judgment of me when I walk out on stage, how is that any different than the judgment I had to an audience I hadn't even seen yet when I chose to put that outfit into my suitcase? Right. And that outfit is the one that I assume is going to be acceptable to people in this audience that I have never met before. But I also, because I'm a business person, right? Like I'm going to use the video from this, there's going to be photographs of this. It's possible it's going to be on social media. So what messages do I want to send from this particular event? Right. And then like a Venn diagram, those two things happen and I pack accordingly. And then because of CAPS is where we met, I showed up and met the nicest, most huggy people <laughs> on the planet. It's like, Wow, they are still touching me. Okay, I can figure this out. So then what's interesting is is that the dress that I wore on stage for the keynote caps to me is actually a much softer, dare I say, more feminine look for me than the dress I actually was going to wear because I adjusted, I monitored and adjusted to the feeling I got from the audience from the day before my keynote. Interesting. That's all judgments and assumptions too. And as I frequently say, it's not about never making them. It's about recognizing you do. Yes. Because your life has taught you that this is what makes you feel safe and prepared. The next step of that is to realize that it's not necessarily a hundred percent accurate. So then you feel safe and prepared now see what's real.
0: Yeah. And leaving space for you to see something different. So, because you could have walked in and had, you know, kept that preconceived idea of what the CAPS people were going to be like and how we would receive you and not been open to seeing anything different.
1: Right. Because, or even better, this is what I do in my keynote. Mm. Right. Like I am not a can of Pringles. When I open a can of Pringles chips, I know exactly what the shape is going to look like, what they're going to taste like, what they're going to smell like. And if I open that can and that is not the case, I am mad that Pringles did not deliver. (laughs) And specifically for those of us that perform or talk in front of other people is, um, I think that there is a business model of being a Pringles can. The magic is that I'm a Pringles can that adjusts to my audiences and that's a business point of distinction that i i am able to have control over i can set the tone and you know like i don't i i should have asked this probably before the recording so i don't know how dominatrix we actually are talking <laughs> about, but real dominatrix when we are talking about like actual intimate relationships yes they are setting the rules but they are setting the rules within the boundaries of well communicated desires of the people who are involved and following suit. Yes. That's like what I loved about the title of your podcast is that you have to be able to like take control, but you have to listen about what it is you're taking control of. And if you don't do that, you are not doing it right.
0: Mm -hmm. And I love that you get that because it's a piece that so many people miss. They think that it's just, the dominatrix has all the control, they make all the decisions, and it's going, it's my way. And it's not at all that. It is, it is all completely negotiated. What do you need? What's working for you? How can I serve? And then once it's time for me to step up, I'm in control. And it's the same thing when you're on stage. You're in control, you're going to take charge of that stage, but you will have done all of your pre work to figure out what do you need to bring to that situation for that client.
1: Absolutely. And sometimes, they're not right. Yes. So sometimes you pull back. Sometimes you say no. Sometimes you care and nurture a particular moment or a relationship or a conversation or a second because that's the best way to serve.
0: Yeah. Having that balance between, you know, understanding and, and appreciating where the client's coming from and then also taking charge and when it's required to, to go against what they think they want so that they get what they need Mm -hmm.
1: and it's a fine balance between like oh you're running a racket and you don't mean that and this is really what you mean versus like I know that this is really what you mean because I'm really listening to you I'm really watching I'm really adjusting to what's happening right now in the audience with people's reactions like um, I did a keynote a couple of days ago that to me did not go well and the audience, like nobody threw anything at me, right? (laughs) The designer was happy. They paid. It was fine, right? But I wanted to use primarily new material because I've been working on a new keynote and I ended up having to pivot within 10 minutes of the hour slot. I pivoted to very old material because I knew that it would work and I knew that it would land and I knew it would have a consistent, solid message but the audience didn't laugh or give back where they should have if they were other audiences that I'm used to speaking in front of. And that's paying attention and listening. And yeah. I, I didn't force my message that I needed to do onto them, nice. but I listened and I adjusted accordingly. And um, I was edgy because that is why I was hired but I was like a level two instead of a level eight that I was planning on doing because level two was really scary. Wow! And part of service from the stage is leaving a space for your audiences to be able to connect to a message. Maybe not to me as an individual, but that message needs to connect to their own lives and their conversations where they are at, not where I wish they could be.
0: Right. And, and that's a mark of a professional who, you know, and I'm sure that your years of comedy has allowed you to really have that connection with the audience and to adjust. And, the, and it really sounds to me like you take your ego out of it. It's much more about what do they, what does this audience need?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it, I would be lying if I said my ego was completely out of it. It's just yeah. not, there. it's not in the front. Those, my ego speakers are not plugged in. It is not in front, and it is not on that stage. But the 48 hours following the speech, I just stayed in my room and ordered room service because my ego was bruised. Like, Mm -hmm. I really wanted to do something, and I needed to test it out, and I I was really excited about it. And, um, I mean, it went from I should never be a speaker to I should have never been hired to this gig – To now, like three or four days later, like I made intentional smart choices that were what I think, based on my experience, that audience needed and felt at the time. And my ego piece saw, you know, 998 people not laughing, but it didn't, because it was overshadowed by that, it didn't pay attention to the two people who talked to me in the hallway the next day. Um, that we're still thinking about my message. You know, mm-hmm. like I'm mad because I'm boxing up 400, I'm sorry, 398 books that I didn't sell. But the two people who did buy those books have actually emailed me in the last 24 hours because they actually started reading my book. Right? Like the humility that's involved of paying attention to the people that really got it in the way yeah. that you're anticipating is still ego based. But it's again, it's all about service,
0: yeah, and I love how how raw you're being about the process that you know that you you withdrew completely and going through from this stage of like, Oh my God, I should never be a speaker again. And, and we all have this, we all have these things that it's like knock us completely down. We feel like, Oh, that's it. I give up. I quit.
1: I can't do this. And Oh wait, and I have no other skills. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? That's the bottom of that for me. And then I'm like, okay, I got to figure out how to do this. <laughs> wait, let me keep going with this. Cause people are still paying me. For- <laughs> I yeah. have to pack up and go to another gig. What? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's true. And it is also important that like at some point I did leave my room um, and I walked down there uh, back to the kind of keynote area again. Mm-hmm. And I walk and I had a lovely conversation with a human being who is a cricket farmer. Wow. Uh-huh. That is not a demographic that I would ever have assumed existed Let alone, that would not make the top 10 demographics of people that I think, you know who really digs me? (laughs) Cricket farmers. (laughs) They really love me, right? Like, I didn't even know that was a thing. I had an amazing conversation with Michael. It had nothing to do with my message. I learned more about cricket farming in five minutes than I thought I would ever need to know. And what's interesting is that in him telling me about his cricket farming job, which by the way, this is a thing, he ships out 12 million crickets a week. Oh my God. Right. What? Um, He actually quoted one of the lines from my keynote. Wow. The cricket farmer. Like maybe just because they didn't instantly stroke my ego, maybe it worked better than I'm giving myself credit for. Are you ready? Are you ready? Maybe it was good enough. (laughs) What? What? As I said, it caps. I believe we speak on the messages we need to learn the most.
0: So true. I'm always telling my clients, I'm doing this for me because I need therapy. So I'm helping everybody else. Yep. And, and yeah, I, I see that over and over again. I see the people who are doing it. It's like the exact message that they're teaching is often what they most need to learn. And and this way, you get to repeat it over and over again. So eventually it'll sink in.
1: Maybe. Or worst case scenario, when I'm like, that's it. I'm done. I'm washed up. I need to get a job. <laughs> I can now remember that uh, Michael employs two people, their job, their job, is watering crickets. (laughs) I would like to point out I don't know how to do that. I am willing to bet I probably do have the skill set for that and I can think of things I would rather do. Yes. Water crickets all day. Maybe I should get back to work. Okay let's do this. I'm back because it's not just like get a A job that I used to have before I had this job, but it's recognizing that this is a job and I enjoy it better than other jobs.
0: (laughs) And you're good enough at it.
1: I'm good enough. (laughs) All that matters. Who wrote that stupid book?
0: (laughs) Oh my goodness. This has been a delight. I I knew this was going to be lots of fun because (laughs) you just, you have a viewpoint on life that You don't take things too. This is what I see anyway. I could be completely wrong, but I see that you don't take
1: therapy too. Bring it. All right.
0: right. (laughs) You don't seem to take life too seriously, and and you you like to learn. You like to play, and it's a constant evolution.
1: Mm. It's constant work, and it's constantly opening gift wrapping paper. Cool, right? Yeah, you never know what's inside. Can't know. I woke up today. Check. Okay. <laughs> now what? <laughs> What's next? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If we could just do the best we can with what we got some of the time, that's a bar I can meet on most given days.
0: And then every day you can feel like you
1: accomplished something. Yeah. Yeah. Those two days that I barricaded myself into a hotel room. Um, number one, I had some really good food. Um. Number two, my Netflix queue is more under control now. (laughs) That is good to know. Okay, better now. I'm going to go to my to-do list.
0: I love it. I love it. Okay, so where do people get your book, and where do they get in touch with you?
1: So my website is. Are you ready? Goodenoughnow.com. Jess at goodenoughnow.com is my email and then i always give listeners a texting number just in case if you ever have any questions or concerns or anything that you're thinking like oh no i'm definitely not good enough at this point just email or email me or text uh, 202 area code 202 670 670 4262 4262 i get texts all the time and it's actually really helpful because um One, it helps me do my own work, and I feel like I can serve other people. Um, The book is on my website or, of course, Amazon or your local used book reseller.
0: Love it. Jess, this has been a delight. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show.
1: Absolutely. Happy to help anytime.
0: Thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Inner Dominatrix. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to tell your friends. And for more, join the Facebook group, Access Your Inner Dominatrix. Till next time, have fun!